Let's open in prayer. Lord, we just want to thank you for this time we've had of worship and song. And now that we begin as our worship and the, the word, we ask you to bless this time. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be in Luke chapter 11, starting at verse 6. This is, excuse me, verse 5. This is the continuation of the disciples' question of Jesus. Ask, when the, the disciples asked, Jesus, teach us to pray. And last week we talked about his example of prayer in the Lord's Prayer and how it was the example. He did not expect that to be repeated every single time they met. But he taught them about this is that example. These next three vignettes in the, that he teaches is even more about how to pray. And one thing that stepped out on the, uh, stood out on me as I was reading this is how much more. Right, and we're going to see that we're going to have a comparison that he's going to make between the way men do things and the way God acts in, in those processes. So we're going to be looking at this. and it, uh, So we're going to be reading from verse uh, 5. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend and shall go out unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine is in his journey is come unto me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed, and I cannot raise and give you. I say unto you, though, the, though he will not raise, rise and give him because of his, he is his friend, yet because of his importunity will he rise and give him as many as he needs. I say unto you, ask and it shall be given, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asks receives, and he that seeks finds, and to him that knocks it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of, you, of any of you that is a father, will you give him a stone? If he ask for a fish, will you give him a serpent? Or if he ask for an egg, will you offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit unto them that ask him? So here we have three examples of prayer that Jesus is using. The first one, and I struggled with this first one for a long time because it's really kind of tough. Um, he says, which of you would go to a friend in the middle of the night which is a terrible time to go talk to even a friend, uh, and ask them, you say, hey, I've got a friend who showed up in the middle of the night. I have nothing to give him food. And, you know, this is pretty bold to go out and ask somebody in the middle of the night for something. And uh, so this is a star starting story. And he says that this individual asking has nothing to give. How many times do we go before God with nothing at all? Hopefully often, because that is what we were talking about in the Lord's Prayer. He said, give us this day our daily bread. And so this friend goes to somebody in the middle of the night 
And the somebody that's being gone to is not God. Don't get here. We don't want to fit this into. We're not saying that God is out there being a cheapskate. Now, how, how many people actually have that picture of God? Well, I can't ask things of God because he is not going to be generous to me. He's not going to give me. And I know there's many people that have this problem. There are many people that believe that uh, they take care of the small things and God takes care of the big things. Now, if the problem is too small to bring to God, I'm not going to give it to him. Uh, my question has always been to somebody who asked that, what problem in my life is going to be big to God? It doesn't matter what I have in my life. Nothing will be big to God that I have to deal with. He, he holds the whole universe together. He keeps all the planets in motion and everything moving in its right order. So what am I saying on this? Be encouraging. Take all your issues to God. Let him work on it. That does not mean we just dump them in his lap and sit down and do nothing. But we put them in his lap and then we watch how he answers our prayers. This person comes in and says, I have nothing to feed this traveler. And the answer to the man in here was, you know, go away. It's the middle of the night. I'm in bed. <laughs> Basically an easy translation. Uh, my doors are locked. And I'm in bed and the kids are, kids are here in bed with us. And that's not necessarily mean in the same bed. But in that day, they had a bedroom and everybody slept in the same room. It wasn't so long ago that that's the way it was done, even in, in every other part of the country, because we didn't have houses with four or five bedrooms. We had maybe two bedrooms, if you were lucky, and usually only one. And so everybody was in the same place. And you've got to think, their doors were a lot harder to lock than our doors. Our doors, we just walk up to the door, turn a little knob, and the door is locked. Maybe slide a, slide a quick bolt over. Well... They had locks, but they also had boards that would cross the doors, and they would you know, do all these things to it. So this was a big deal to come to him in the middle of the night and say, uh, get up and give me some food. There's nothing, I have nothing in my house, and you know, you, apparently this guy had lots of stuff. I don't know, he's, but he's expecting him to have three loaves of bread in the middle of the night to give to him. And he says, go away. <laughs> don't bother me. And what I'm impressed with this is this is the attitude that most people have when they come to God. God is up there saying, go away, don't bother me. That's so small, don't, you know, you don't bother me. We do not want to have that attitude about him. What's our expression that we use? I've tried everything else, I might as well pray. That's totally backwards of what it should be. We should be going into saying, God, I'm coming to you first, and then I will try everything else and figure out what, you know, what I can do. And God, you, in the background, you'll be moving because I've already asked you to do this. And so we see here, he says, and he's, Jesus goes, and even though he won't rise to give you because he's a friend, he will rise because of the importunity. And I'm sure everybody knows what importunity means. <laughs> it means perseverance. You know, perseverance at basically a bad time. He says he's going to keep bugging you until you do it. That's what that word means. Um, and it's not a word that I figure everybody uses because I had to look it up to find out what it meant. So he says this man is going to persist. He's in your, at your door knocking in the middle of the night. And if you just ignore him, he's going to continue knocking at that door, waking up you and the family and... Every, anybody else in the neighborhood is going to be woke up because he is knocking on this door saying, give me something to eat for my friend who's come to visit. 
This is not God. God does not do that to us. Now, God does expect us to be persistent in our prayer, and that's part of the lesson here. God works in his timing. And if you've ever asked for God for, uh, for something, sometimes it seems like I have to pester him because he, he keeps making me want to ask over and over and over again. And we want to be very understanding that God is asking us, are you going to stay consistent? Not because he's forgetting us, not because he's being difficult, but he's going to do it in his time. And the good thing about God's time is it's the perfect time. God is never late, and he's not early. He's right on time. And if you've ever tried to walk by faith and, and exist by faith, it's very interesting that God delivers to you, to you what you need when you need it. There was a time when we were living by faith and God would deliver the money like the day before it was due so that we'd be able to hand it over to, to the credit card or the, the uh, mortgage or the rent or whatever right on time, not early. Because what happens if he gives it to us early? We start, we start thinking, well, look what I have accomplished. I got this taken care of. And he's not going to give it to us late because he's encouraging us to be good stewards. He is right on time. The only problem with his right on time is we look at it and say, God, it would be really nice if you gave it to me really early so I didn't have to worry at all. But if we're worrying, are we trusting God? This is the problem that we have so often is we worry about so much. And when we worry, we show that we are not trusting God. God, I don't think you can handle this problem, so I'm going to worry about it and figure out how I can fix it. Even though I want you to fix it, I'm going to worry about how it's going to be fixed. And worry is something that is, so, is not a valid use of our time. I read a study one time that says 90% of what we worry about doesn't come true anyway. It's not even a problem, and we spend all of our present worrying about the future that doesn't even come true instead of living in the, in the moment that we're in. And we waste a lot of our time worrying about the future. Now, the flip side of that is how many of us worry about all of our mistakes in the past? that we can't change. So we as human beings have this tendency to either worry about the future, which we have no power to control, or worrying about the past that we cannot change, and then we miss living in the moment that we're living in. And you've got to think about this. If you really honestly think about it, we have an opportunity to live in the moment at a very slender piece of, of time. Matter of fact, at just the time I say we live in the moment, it's already passed. I can't even change that moment. So we want to be very understanding that we need to live in now. The name that God told Moses, is, his name is I am what that I am. I am the moment. I am the present. Now, God is outside of time, so he is always in the present. And we have a big problem with that because we live in time. We only interact with time going forward. We, don't see, we can't change the past. We can't understand the past. And from God's perspective, our future is in the past already. Have you thought about that? He knows the beginning from the end. So our future is his past. Because he, but he doesn't live in the past anyway, so it's not technical. But he already knows what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, what's going to happen. And from his perspective, it's done. Now, that's hard for us to comprehend. And that takes us into the next section of the scripture. 
uh, it says, I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks receives and he that seeks finds and he that knocks to him it shall be opened. And there are lots of people that say, if God knows everything already, why go in prayer to him in the first place? Because he already knows what's going to happen. And the answer to that is real simple. It's for our faith. We go to him with prayers and watch what he's going to do. What He already knows what he's going to do. But we go to him with our prayers. And this is very interesting because when it says ask, seek, and knock, all of these are present active imperatives. And I know that means a lot of to all you people that don't remember your English classes. Present means we're doing it now. Active means that we are doing it. And an imperative is a command. Jesus is commanding us to ask, seek, and to find. So we want to look at this, this idea of asking that he's given us is to ask with expectation of getting. All right, this isn't just, uh, well, I know he'll never do this, so let me ask him about it. No, when we ask him, it's with this expectation that he will give. Are our prayers that type of prayer? That we pray, God, I expect that you're going to do something. Now, I don't want to take this so far. There's churches out there that take this so far, and they'll demand, and in Jesus' name, we command this to happen. No, I'm not going to go that far. I'm not going to try to control God. God is God, he's sovereign, he's in charge, and I can't command God. But I can sure petition him with my petitions that are, and say, God, this is, this is what we'd like to see. This is, this is how we see your, your kingdom being glorified. And then remember that God always answers prayers. He always answers your prayer. We may not like the answer to our prayer, <laughs> But he always answers our prayer. And as and has been said by many people, I'm not original with this, he has three answers. Yes, which is the one we want. No, which is the one we don't like. And later. He has a plan to answer it, but this is not the time for it to be answered. And, you know, I kind of think this is very funny because how many times have you maybe even said it or you've heard it said, God didn't answer my prayer. Well, the problem is that no is an answer. We didn't like hearing it when we were kids. Our kids didn't like to hear it, and we still as adults don't like to hear the answer no from God. The good news is his no's are for good reasons. And oftentimes, if you live long enough to look back on what you, and remember what you prayed for and got a no, you kind of realize, oh, God, I am so glad you didn't answer that prayer. You know, you had such a better plan, and maybe it wasn't even going to be a bad answer, but he had a better plan in, your, in, in store for you, and you get down the road and you look out and go, wow, if God had answered that prayer, I would have never been where I'm at today. We need to understand his no's are not to hurt us. He's not just being a meanie up there and saying no as often as he can. He has a reason to say no. And good parents have a reason to say no to their children, now, I have, had met, I have met parents who say no more often than they say yes, and they don't have a reason for it. They just don't feel like saying yes. But God is not that kind of person. He says, I am going to give you these things. And he says, ask, and it shall be given. Now, this word for given is in the future. 
It's a passive, which means it's done to me, and is indicative, which means it's a fact. God will give us the things we ask for as long as it's something that's going to be good for us. And this is something that's very important for us to understand. God is going to answer. And once we have asked, we wait for his answers. We wait for what he's going to do. Now, I understand waiting is the hardest part of anything to do. I'm a manager. I'm a, I'm a go-getter. I make things happen. Waiting for me is pain in the neck, and God likes to make me wait <laughs> because it is so hard for me to wait. <laughs> now, maybe you're not one that has a hard time waiting, but I do have a hard time waiting, and God oftentimes will say, later, you're on the right track, but we're going to wait because he wants us to learn to wait on him. Then he says, you seek. Now, the word seek is to seek to go find something. This is not just saying I'm fine, I wanna, I'm hoping that maybe I find a uh, chunk of gold out in the middle of my field without ever going out in the middle of the field. Now, well, I really hope that God, you give me something because I, I'm really seeking for it. This is the idea that this is something really important. You lost your paycheck and the rent's due tomorrow. You're gonna tear your house apart. You're gonna tear your books apart. You're gonna tear everything apart to find that check. This is the type of seek that he's talking about. Seeking to find. And here he says, it shall, you shall find it. And again, this is the idea of its future passive, is that a future active indicative. You have to do something for finding this. So God is not always saying, just sit around and do nothing. He says there are times we get out and we do something. And this is true, if it's in your power to get something accomplished, God will say, get off your butt and go do it. If you can manage to do it, God will give you the inspiration, he'll give you the direction, he'll give you the activity. So you go, well, how do we balance this? A lot of practice. <laughs> A lot of practice. We go out and do as much as we can to make something happen but listen to God. And if he says back off, we back off. If he says continue, we continue. And again, this is an area that's hard for me because I am the type of person that once I start doing something, I am going to get it accomplished. Come hell or high water, I'm going to get it accomplished. And there's lots of people like me, type A personalities that are managers that are just going to say, I am going. And sometimes God has had to knock me down several times before I pay attention and say, oh, this isn't really what you want done. So this is a hard place to be. How do we decide? How do we walk? Some of it takes getting counsel from other people. What do you think about this? How do you think this should be approached? And not being an independent Lone Ranger type of person like we like to be in America. Now, I'm going to do this and I'm going to make it happen. I've said this several times and people, especially in the Bible study, understand whenever you're saying I, you got to start thinking, am I doing this the right way? I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to have this accomplished. I'm going to do this. When you start saying I a lot in a statement, you might want to really analyze it and say, what is number one, my motivation? Who am I trying to exalt? Myself or God? And if I'm trying to do it in my strength, that's a problem. Even if I'm doing everything I can, I have to recognize it's God's power that's going to make it happen. And then he will do his so much more. 
And then it says knock. And this is to knock. And this knock is not just a gentle knock. It is literally to pound on. <laughs> and it says, it shall be opened unto you. And again, we have a passive here in this open. It's a passive indicative. God will do the work for us. So out of these three examples, we have two that are passive, that God does all the work for us, and one that says that we have to go out and do something, and that is seeking. And again, be careful on the seeking part that you don't make it all about you. And this is why it's very important for us as we look out there and we say, God, what is it you want me to do? When we step out to serve him, is it something that I think I can do, or is it something that God can do? We need to make plans that are God-sized plans. And this is an important statement because if it's a man-sized plan that I can do on my own, then God does not get the glory. This is important. God gets the glory for what we accomplish. And if he's not getting the glory, something's wrong with the plan. And even as I say that, you go, well, people heard the gospel message. How many people responded to the gospel message? Well, good things happened. We, we fed the poor. Wonderful. How many people responded to the gospel message? All of the things should be to lift Jesus up. And if he's not lifted up, then we need to look at what we're doing and say, God, is this what you want done? A lot of good things can be done that are not in God's will because he is not being glorified. There are lots of foundations out there that do lots of great things for, for the, the poor and the needy that are not glorifying God. And you can watch them. You can watch them on the news. You can watch them on reports. You can watch them on commercials. And who's getting the glory? Everybody but God. Those are not what God is asking us to do. So we want to look and say, God, how am I going to do? And we like to quote this one, you know, ask, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and the door shall be opened. And they are very true statements. But we need to understand, the only thing that I'm doing on any of those is I'm instituting them. Now, when it comes to seeking, I do a little more. And I have to go out and I have to do a little more work on it. And then his last example on here is kind of an interesting one. He goes, I say to you, if a son asks a loaf of bread of you, any of you that, are, that is a father, will you give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will you give him a serpent? Now, this is kind of an interesting statement because anybody who cares about their kids are going to say, well, of course I wouldn't give my son a, a rock. They're hungry and ask for bread, I'm going to give them a rock. Uh, they ask for a fish, I'm going to give them a snake, or in this case, an asp which is one of the deadly poisonous snakes of that. You know, uh, and then he goes, he asks you an egg, and you, would you give him a scorpion? Now, we have scorpions here, but our scorpions aren't quite as deadly as they are in the Middle East. The Middle Eastern scorpions are very deadly. So he's making some ideas on here that are you going to give things that harm your child when they ask for something? And hopefully the answer is no for those who care about their kids. And, you know, and so we want to go, you know, they're hungry, so here, chew on this rock a little while. Now, oh, you're hungry, here, play with snake. Oh, you want, you want to you know, get an egg for dinner, here, here's a scorpion. And this is something that is hitting these people really hard, and hopefully it would hit us as well. You know, 
we love our children enough to give them the things that are good for them and that they're asking for that is good for them. And then Jesus concludes with this statement on here. He goes, If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And his word for evil is evil-natured. Jesus is asserting to the disciples that you have a fallen nature that desires to do wrong. Now, this is kind of a shocking statement in our day and age. We're all in the church. We know this is true. But if you try to make this statement out in the world, you're going to hear, well, people are basically good. Now, I don't know what drugs they're on to get that conclusion, but uh, because I don't see people being nice to other people unless they're getting something out of it. You know, I'm going to be nice to you, and then you're going to be happy or rewarding me for the niceness that I did to you. Or somebody's going to be nice to me in return because I was nice. Or they take the, you reap what you sow, and if I do enough good things, I get good things. Or if I do enough good things, I get a bunch of brownie points with God. Their motivation is always to get something in return. And God says, I know your nature. Your nature is evil. And we know that to be true as Christians because we see it. And I, my statement I use all the time with people is, when a sinner sins, it doesn't surprise me. So guess what? When anybody in this room and I and myself sin, it doesn't surprise me because we're all sinners. Now, it saddens me more when Christians sin than when the lost world sins because they should know better. And, and it saddens me when I sin because I should know better. But when the world lives out their nature, I am not surprised at all. Jesus is saying, you all, a bunch of evil-natured people, you know how to do what's good for your children? Give them a good gift? And then he goes, how much more will the Father in heaven do it? We want to really change the way we think about God in most cases. He is a good, loving Father that wants to reward us. If we're hungry, he's not going to say, well, just stay hungry for a little while. It's good for you to be hungry. He says, here is what you need. When we fall down and hurt ourselves, just like any parent would do, you, if you remember ever teaching your kids how to ride a bike and they fall down, you know, my first question was, are you okay? If they were okay, get back on the bike and ride. If they weren't, let's get you taken care of. Let's patch you up. God is like that with us. He's going to be right there saying, are you okay? If not, let's get back going. If, if we are not okay, he's going to take care of us and patch us up. We need to really learn to trust God. Now, this is one of the hardest things that we will ever have to do is to learn to trust God, to put all of our faith in him. This is what it means to be saved. I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and that he is the only way to heaven. And that belief is that there is no plan B. Now, this is hard for somebody who's a planner and a manager because I always have a plan B, C, and D, and E, and all these other plans in, in case that when the first one fails, I'm ready to move right into the next plan. But when it comes to salvation and getting to heaven, I do not have a plan B. 
If Jesus is not the answer when I die, I'm in trouble. Now, the good news is I know that he's the answer because of how much blessing and how much he's put into my heart. The Holy Spirit's been in my life. He's made so much blessings. He's changed me so much that I know that what he said is true on earth. I know that he will be true when I get to heaven. So it's not putting a whole lot of faith there, but there is no other plan. And I love it because in, in witnessing, we're often trained to ask people, well, what do you think? What do you think? And you go, and they give you whatever reincarnation, when they, they, when they die, they're dead, they're worm food, whatever, whatever they're, you know, I hope I've done enough good. And oftentimes we're asked, what if you're wrong? That's a good question to ask them. What if your, if your thought is wrong? Be ready, though, because they're going to ask you right back, what if you're wrong? And my answer to that has always been the same thing. I have lost nothing. I have had a great life with God blessing me on this lifetime. And if I'm wrong, there's not a problem because I have enjoyed life. If this is all there is and there is not an afterlife, God has blessed this life so strongly that I have nothing to worry about. But because of his blessing, I know that he's telling me the truth for the future. But it's very important because one of the things that bothers me is I've wandered around and talked to Christians and everything. How many Christians do not trust God in this lifetime and yet they're saying, I'm going to go to heaven when I die because God's going to take me there? But they don't trust him for their daily provision. They don't trust him to, to serve him. They don't trust him for anything on this lifetime. And then they say they trust him for eternity. We need to learn to trust God. Trust in the Lord with your whole heart is so important. You know, lean on him. Lean on his word. Know what it is said. My daughter was telling me about a person in their home Bible study that they go to. And he was telling them he doesn't need a Bible because God tells him everything he needs to know. And I'm thinking, and my daughter said she had a long conversation during that point, but I'm thinking, wow, how deceived can somebody get? We have a fallen sinful nature. I can guarantee if you're, if you're living on what you are being told through your sinful nature, you're in trouble. Because you're going to hear things that you want to hear. And usually when people say something like that, they don't like reading the Bible because God tends to tell us things that we don't want to hear. Uh, what you're planning to do is a sin. Uh, I don't think so, God. I think it's good. No, it's a sin. Well, God, I'm going to close my Bible because I don't want to know that. We need to be very careful because God's word speaks to us. And if you're always hearing what you want to hear, you're not hearing from God. I know because I have many things that I don't want to hear. When I'm reading the scriptures, I'm listening to my different sermons, I'm, I'm talking to different people, there are many times when I hear things that I'd rather not hear. But they're scriptural. They're honest. And what ends up happening with most people, they choose a couple of things. They close their Bible and don't read their Bible. They don't come to Bible studies. They don't take counsel with other people that are going to give them godly advice. And this is so important for us. Who do we seek advice from? It is real easy to go into the world and hear what we want to hear at times. Well, you should do whatever it is. And it goes, oh, yeah, I really like that. It sounds really good to my, to my, to my flesh. And the world is full of all these things about how to live your life the world's way. And it really resonates with our evil nature. And I'm not saying it's what we would call as humans bad. But it's things that say, well, you should be happy. 
Well, I'm going to tell you that the Bible doesn't tell you that we're supposed to be happy. We're to serve God. Now, that should bring joy and peace and, and happiness at times, but it doesn't mean that we're going to be perpetually happy. There are many things that we do that are not going to bring happiness, at least when we're on the other side of it, coming into it. We're going to look at it and say, God, that sounds kind of scary. God, that sounds kind of hard. God, that sounds like a lot of work. And sure enough, it's going to be. But on the other side, we see the happiness and the blessing from it rather than running away from problems. How many times do you have somebody say, ah, just ignore the problem and it'll go away? I don't know about you, but I've never had any problem go away by ignoring it. Normally, problems get worse when you ignore them. Well, my car is leaking, leaking oil. I'll just ignore it for a while. I'll just keep putting oil into it, and one day it seizes up because the oil leak gets too big. Now, I'm having real problems with this person, so I'm just going to ignore the problems and not fix it. They, all they do is get worse. We need to go to God and say, God, how is this going to be fixed? How is this going to be working? And God gives us the Holy Spirit in our life to direct, to motivate, to encourage. When we are his children, we get saved. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. And he changes us from the inside out to be more like God. And if you learn to listen to him, he will tell you to do hard things, but he'll also give you the words to do it. He'll give you the unction to get it done. And this is the great pr process that we have with God. He loves us. And he gives us the strength to live in all that we do. And I'm going to tell you, it doesn't necessarily make everything easy, especially if I'm not listening to the Holy Spirit closely. But I can tell you, it's so much wonderful event to listen to the Spirit. There have been times when I have been witnessing to somebody and saying things that I didn't even know that I knew to this person and end up watching them get saved. Letting the Holy Spirit work through you. It is a very wonderful thing that God gives us is that he comes in and dwells in us. He gives us the strength to live a spiritual life in this world of sin and wickedness as long as we start paying attention to the Holy Spirit. How do we do that? We read the Word of God, we listen to teachers, we go to Bible studies, and that doesn't have to be here. You go to Bible studies anywhere you want that has a good teacher. I mean, I listen to radio all the time, and some of them I turn off because they're not good teachers, but uh, some of them are really good teachers. And I, get, and I get fed, and I get built up by those teachers, and we want to be able to say, I'm going to fill my life with God. And in our day, it's so easy to fill our life with everything but God. You know, we go, you know, probably everybody in this room has a television in their room, and they probably spend more time watching television than they should. I've limited back on my TV. I really get into a place where I hate TV. Because even if I'm watching a good show on TV, the commercials are garbage. And promoting everything that I don't want to be promoted in my life. So we want to be able to say, God, I want you to feed me. Am I saying all we do is read our Bible and all we do is listen to Christian stuff? No, that'll make you very boring and un, you know, unable to talk to other people. But make sure that you're really balanced in what you're doing. Be able to communicate with people. Be able to share God with everybody that you come across. Because our job in this life is to lift up Christ. 
to walk in a way that says, I serve a risen Savior who's king of this world, and I'm his ambassador. I'm going to represent him and let you know what godly living is like. Now, we're going to do it perfectly? No. But our life should be one that says, this is the way you should live. And we want to be able to understand this. These were all things that Jesus was using to say, if you as lost evil people can do these things, God is so much more than we are. And we always have to recognize that he is, take anything that we think is good in, in human beings and multiply it by about a million times and you have God. And without the tainted part of whatever it is that is good in, this, in our life. And this is what Jesus is saying. Ask him for what you need. Seek him for what you, what you desire. Go out and minister and be able to live for what God is doing. And let him be your guide, your leader in all that you do. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, if there's anybody that doesn't know you, we ask that today that they will come to you and they will accept you as Lord and Savior. For those of us in this room, Lord, that, that know you, we're asking, Lord, teach us to trust you more. Teach us to put you at the forefront of our, our prayers, the forefront of our desires, and learn to just trust you so much more as we go through each day. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com. Or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.